Hello. Hi. Uh, good morning. <laughs> okay. Um, welcome back to a new episode of Two Teaspoons of Positivity. The date is the 24th of July and the time is 7.54am EST. Again, I, <laughs> I am running behind on, on like, episodes. So, we'll be doing a twofer. No, not a twofer. I'm just going back to back till I finish this. So, uh, without further ado, let's get right into the stories. So, this is for last week. So, last week we had way too many big stories and two baby stories. So, I'll cover the baby stories right now and we'll talk about the big stories later on. Let's see. Hmm. The first baby story was about a study that was published in the UK claiming that the public was openly, overwhelmingly optimistic about what a green future could look like. Which is interesting because, okay, so to provide a little context for those who might be tuning in for the first time, the UK, we've been covering a lot of stories about the UK and most of the stories have been about how there has been a rewilding initiative or a planting or, or a green drive or something something related to reforestation and converting urban areas into green green areas or greener than they were and the study claims that the the public is oh, the public has shown strong support for ambitious government action for a green transition. Over the past 18 months, the IPPR Environmental Justice Commission has had hundreds of hours of conversations with people from all walks of life uh, and participants were randomly selected to share their views. And the executive director for this institute stated that their findings were clear and arresting People recognize the challenges we face but are overwhelmingly optimistic about what a greener, fairer future for the country could look like. From more good jobs to flourishing local wildlife, access to nature and revitalized neighborhoods and communities. That's that's nice. I feel like that's something we should be a lot more open about. Like if you're optimistic, talk to someone about this. Just maybe share that optimism. And yeah, chances are, I, I feel like a lot of people don't do that because they're scared that they'll be called um, naive or living in blissful ignorance. But then again, like, you, uh, I feel like you, you might have to risk being called that because not everyone is going to say that. Like, some people might really need to hear or really need your optimism to create some of their own. And that's really nice. I'm glad that, and that's that's one part of the whole story. The other one was that the government is doing something for the people and the people are recognizing that. And that is affecting their outlook on the future. It's, it's a very straightforward line. And that's the thing, this thing, this approach the government does something good for the people. The, the people say, good job, government, keep doing that. We'll, we'll keep you elected. And yeah, this, this cycle of sorts 
government does good people recognize it people keep the government in power government does good people recognize it people keep voting for the same people because the government is working towards the people that's a cycle that can be applied everywhere that's the first story the second one was about how technology has helped indigenous amazonian communities to curb deforestation this was interesting uh, where is it yeah hmm. so a study has found evidence that placing technology in the hands of indigenous forest communities in the peruvian amazon ha- can have a significant effect on deforestation Researchers gave indigenous groups satellite data and smartphones in order to capture instances of suspected illegal deforestation which if confirmed could pass could be passed on to would be passed on to authorities to deal with encouragingly after a year of this thing oh after encouraging this for a year reforest deforestation was reduced by 52% at the end of year 2 it had come down un- by another 20% so that's 72% Can you imagine seventy-two percent of seventy-two um, percent in two years? That is amazing. And all they did was just they did they literally did the if you see something say something with indigenous communities. That is amazing. Imagine like we could shut this down if uh, again okay. Oh god, <laughs> my alarm went off. <laughs> okay. So I have I had two two thoughts about that. The first one was imagine what we could do if we uh, enabled them a bit more and just provided them like drones or um, a constant communication, uh, a constant channel of communication with authorities so that authorities could arrive and arrest the people or provide notices and warrants to the people who are doing this in real time. But then wouldn't that be a deviation from their efforts to preserve their uh, tradition and heritage and lifestyle so that's something that uh, there's middle ground to be found there but i am too dumb to <laughs> do that i'm not i'm not smart enough to do that so but yeah this is this is great news like 72% of uh, like illegal deforestation came down by 72% in 2 years just because uh some researchers gave indigenous indigenous community smartphones it's nice right we are done with our stories we we are done with our baby stories now we're going to the big stories okay these uh this this one is a bit um it's incendiary so trigger warning to anyone who's listening hmm and i don't i tried my best to script it in a way that's that decreases the decreases its incendiary nature but i don't think it's I, there's only so much i could do <laughs> so keep that in mind as we explore this story So a report was found in the UK that culture wars do not reflect genuine divisions. The article says that culture wars are not as deep seated as some make them out to be according to a new report. Instead, the report that was published by the Fabian Society, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing it correctly, 
concludes that cultural divisions are inflated by politicians and the media but with real consequences hmm. so first of all that is a relief to hear and <laughs> the fact that culture wars are not as deep-seated as some make them out to be uh, so okay I should provide some context uh, let's cover the basics what is a culture war a culture war is basically a fight between ideologies so the best example I could find was um, Star Wars Jedi vs Sith Jedi vs Sith because at the end of the day both of, both the um, parties con consist of people right be they alien or earthlings or whatever planet they may hail from they are still people at the end of the day the only reason they are fighting is because they have different ideologies they, d they have different ideas about what the force is how one should apply it in their lives right and yeah that's the thing in so if we apply that to real life I, I don't think I should <laughs> so I'm just going to move on from that <laughs> and let's get back to the story so if you think about it for more than three seconds it makes sense that culture wars are not as deep-seated as you see it as you as people make it out in the news make it out to be in the news so like because of the simple reason because of the simple reason that people have better things to do <laughs> than to hate uh, than to hate people of a certain um, ethnicity or of a certain um, political orientation or whatever like it's an exercise in futility that's all it is but I, I don't feel like I'm the best person to preach about this so let's get back to the story so the reason why this report was published was because uh, of the football match England versus Italy in the Euros so England's after England's defeat to Italy in the Euros uh, there was racial abuse directed at three of its penalty shootout players and the uh, there was this uh, player called Tyrone Mings he criticized the Home Secretary Preeti Patel for stoking the fire of racial abuse I, I think he's right I don't think uh, because at the end of the day it's just a sport right like yeah I, I understand that people are have strong emo people have strong emotions related um, strong emotions to the sport but that's all it is it's a sport it's not life or death I, I sincerely apologize if I sound uh, if I sound too you know, straightforward I, I just uh, I have history with this uh, argument so I'm not able to filter my emotions properly so let's get back to the story again studies have found that most people in the UK aren't even sure what exactly the term culture war means therefore they do not necessarily reflect what is actually happening that sounds too confusing <laughs> so I'll just summarize that things aren't as bad as it seems in the news the news folks tend to exaggerate because they're clickbaiting well race baiting but yeah that's just it they're clickbaiting <laughs> because drama puts butts in seats so Roger Harding who co-authored co co the report 
stated issued a statement to the guardian he stated that culture war peddlers often use contrived stories to pit working class communities against one another and caricature movements for racial and lgbtqia+ equality the public deserves better than fabricated fights added kirsty mcneil a charity executive and fellow co-author of the report that's true the public does deserve better than this but yeah it's it's great to know that uh, people aren't ex- actually so full of hatred it's just that we're being told that this other group hates us and we should hate them back so we do but yeah they don't hate us and we don't really hate them either <laughs> we have better things to do at the end of the day we have better things to do like there's a new season loki season 2 was going to be a <laughs> i shouldn't do that i shouldn't do that i apologize okay the next big story was that the un set out a paris style plan to halt biodiversity loss details have emerged of the targets to be included in a new wide reaching un plan to halt biodiversity loss in its tracks the latest draft set out by the un convention on biological diversity includes goals such as eliminating plastic pollution protecting a minimum of 30% of the world's oceans and land and reducing pesticide use by 2/3 so that's three things uh eliminating plastic pollution securing protecting 30% of the world's oceans and land so that's 15% of oceans 50% of land no that's 30% of oceans and 30% of land and reducing pesticide by 66% yeah 2030 is the goal yeah oh 2030 was the goal the goal date has wait a minute 2030 a year for which an increasing number of sustainability goals are now earmarked is the goal date with further targets set for 2050 hmm that's that's good to hear like if they if they because that shows that they understand the people who are working on this they understand that going carbon neutral is not a goal it's a responsibility it's like um it's like getting a summer bod right getting uh, going on a fitness journey and achieving your fitness goals it's not the end of the road because you still have to maintain that physique so we don't just have to go carbon neutral we have to maintain our carbon neutrality uh <laughs> oh right uh i i wrote here um i sounded very american while saying this you know what they say folks shoot for the stars and you land on the moon or was it shoot for the moon and you walk among the stars <laughs> god i sound like an idiot i i sincerely apologize for that the point is uh setting ambitious goals is good in this particular case and yeah setting ambitious goals is good in this particular case because why do i have to explain this again <laughs> because if you set ambitious goals you'll meet uh, you'll receive uh, realistic results if you set realistic goals you might not even be able to achieve the goals that you have set so i hope that's i hope that's less confusing than my horrible attempt at an accent <laughs> right let's get back to the story again i sincerely apologize for the digressions so 
the draft could take some time to be ratified. Um, a meeting where the goals... Oh, right, the meeting is set to... Uh, it's going to be held on the in the first half of 2022. That's next year. Yeah, this year is almost over. It's It's like August at this point. Once agreed, it will be signed by 196 parties to the... CBD, Paris-style. CBD is not weed. CBD is the UN Convention on Bio Biological Diversity. Oh, right. This one. Oh, the next big story is a good one. Um, I don't know if um, whoever's listening remembers. We covered a story about um, beavers being introduced to the UK. And I got really excited because that was a roller coaster of a story. So a baby beaver was born in Exmo for the first time in 400 years after two adult, be two adult beavers were successfully reintroduced into a National Trust estate in Exmo in January of 2020. Park authorities have announced this week that the female has given birth. Finally. <laughs> I mean, kudos to them, man. They've, they've put so much effort into surviving. And... It's interesting because beaver used to be megafauna. Like, beavers used to be bigger than bison. The American bison. And early humans used to hunt them. And uh, even after um, even after the Ice Age and after human evolution, beavers were still hunted because their, their fur or their pelt, I think it's, it's waterproof or water resistance, resistant or something similar. So that's why beavers were hunted to extinction in the 16th century in the UK and after tons of reintroduction efforts at several sites, they have slowly made a comeback. The mother, the mom beaver and her partner have transformed the unmanaged woodland in their enclosure into, an, into a more open wetland creating diverse habitats that benefit a plethora of wildlife. That's another important thing. This is why we need beavers. The fact, the reason, uh, a benefit of, of them, um, of their dams, is that water gets diverted to places where it could not, it was not before. And that helps a lot of animals, because that, that decreases the, and that increases access to water. And that increases access to a lot of things. I'm not saying it increases access to internet connectivity and healthcare and stuff like that. But just because, just by providing water, that that invites more more herbivores to an area where they where herbivores would not have ventured before. That gives uh, that provides an opportunity for predators to hunt. And that, that just invi invites more um, life into an area, just by introducing water in it. It's amazing. Right, uh, <laughs> this one. So, guardians of the Irish language added person of color to the official lexicon. And I'm, I'm, scared, of, uh, I'm scared of discussing this story because I could not, for the life of me, I could not find pronunciations for these terms. I know, um, yeah, I don't know anything. <laughs> so, we'll just skip the words <laughs> and 
you can just google it it's a it's a pretty big story like it was covered in the guardian it was covered in bbc it was covered in reuters as well i think so those are three big news agencies that cover this 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 one will be easy to find and i recommend whoever's listening to find the story and read more about it it's it's pretty interesting so a new term uh, was uh, entered last week into ireland's national terminology database and that term was person of color for generations irish speakers were have used bizarre or racially charged terms for those who are not white uh, for those who are not white ha huh. so one of these meant a man of any color with black hair or skin and the other one meant blue person i have no clue what that means and i'm glad that i don't so a board member of a public body that promotes irish in the republic of ireland and northern ireland as well as a daughter of nigerian immigrants <coughs> that's the same person by the way this person whose name i am too scared of pronouncing <laughs> I, i sincerely apologize for this so the person who suggested these the term a uh, person of color in irish happens to have nigerian uh, immigrant parents and is a board member of a public body that promotes irish in the republic of ireland and northern ireland she stated that she remembers when she was in a school wondering who are these people that who are these people that others are referring to when they talk to her because she didn't think of herself as blue the chief uh, the chief terminologist at this public body also added that they were happy to use it it's a case of concepts emerging and changing hmm i am glad that uh, language is this is a this is an excellent example of how language is as alive as the people who use it so another example of this is awful or awesome no awful awful yeah so earlier it used to mean full of awe and that got replaced by awesome and awful just became another word for i was going to say a person's name but i don't i don't want to uh, spread hate plastic straws yes awful is another word for plastic straws that's nice <laughs> again now the last big story for last week is that giant pandas were classified as no longer endangered in the wild delight echoed through social media this week delight echoed through social media last week because i should have recorded this last week <laughs> as china's conservation authority announced that the giant panda has been reclassified from endangered to vulnerable the change comes amid efforts in recent years to improve biodiversity habitats have been expanded and bamboo forests a food source for the bears has be, have been replanted far from bringing out of the wood oh god right well they are well they are no longer endangered the threat of global warming is still quite real so it's good news but we should also be focusing on that i guess anyway uh i apologize for that silence there i was thinking about something 
<sighs> okay, so that brings us to the end of our segment, Two Teaspoons of Positivity. I would like to thank the one person who's listening to this, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and now I am going to tune out. Bye-bye!